Welcome to the podcast version of Police Science Doctor, the online resource bridging the gap between research and investigative practice. For police personnel who go the extra mile. For academics who want to connect better with investigative practitioners. On YouTube and on policesciencedoctor.com. Well, hello everyone in the Police Science Doctor world. Happy New Year to everyone. I hope that you had a good holiday period. I hope that you have a fantastic start to the new year and I hope that you make the most of the time that's coming. Um, so if you have any resolutions, make sure they are realistic, make sure they are interesting, make sure there's something that you are going to stick to and whatever it is you're going to achieve, if you, it's, it's all about the mindset. If you really want to make it happen, you can make it happen, but it's down to you. So make the most of it. So after this um, sermon now, um, if you are watching this, that probably means you're interested in police science, you're interested in anything that investigative psychology, forensic psychology, criminology have to offer to law enforcement practitioners and related professions around the world. So every week I come online and I speak about three police science snippets that I've extracted from academic research publications. I actually email those out as well to my email list. You can join that for free. It's on policesciencedoctor.com. So that's www.policesciencedr.com. And you just input your details into the form that comes up or that's at the bottom of every page. And you can get these um snippets into your inbox every Tuesday and you actually have the links to the original research as well. Also, if you're on the Police Science Doctor email list, you get the password for the read page on the Police Science Doctor um, website and you can download all the previous snippets. So today I'm talking about Police Science snippet number 57. That means there's 56 previous weeks worth of PDFs with three science snippets each that you can download if you want and hopefully you'll find all of these useful. So let's get to the first snippet for this week. It's about police misconduct as a contagion. Using network analysis, it was found that a discrete number of officers elevate the likelihood of misconduct amongst a larger group they are connected to. Rather than transferring those who commit misconduct out of their, sorry, out of wherever they are working, removing, uh, removing this relatively small number of officers may contribute to a substantial downstream reduction in misconduct. So it's very important to identify officers who um, engage in misconduct, who go against rules that are, you know, either the legal rules or ethical rules, whatever the issue is, rather than transferring them somewhere else where they can then cause trouble. Um, they should, you know, obviously they, they should have, you know, initially depending on what the misconduct was, you know, it might be the best option to give them some some chance to feel retraining, um, improving their conduct, whatever that may be. But don't just transfer them and hope that the um, that the problem will be gone or the problem is somebody else's problem now, because they can actually then sort of infect the others that are in that group with their with their behavior. Okay, so it's important to to deal with them, either change their behavior or remove them from the service rather altogether, rather than putting them somewhere else where, can, where they can not only cause problems themselves but also um, influence others to cause problems. The second snippet is on child-to-parent violence. So this is not necessarily just young children. This can also be adult children who are violent to their parents. Rather than being determined through violent victimization at the hands of parents, children being violent to their parents are more likely to do so as a result of parents not exercising control and setting norms and boundaries effectively. Okay, so there used to be a theory that those who commit violence against their parents were perhaps victimized by their parents and experienced 
violence from them themselves. But actually, it seems to be more the case that the um, the par- there's ineffective parenting. And um, it might be, in terms of preventing it, it might be better to ex- um, to address the, the parenting style. You know, if you want a really um, graphic, visual uh, example of this that popped into my head when I thought about this, you know, if you look at the Harry Potter movies, the um, so Harry Potter lives under the stairs in the cupboard initially. Now that's that's your domestic servitude and that's child abuse, child neglect, all kind of stuff. I don't know how they got away with it. I don't know how the wizards got away with putting him there and uh, leaving him in that situation. It's, it's really irresponsible and inexcusable. But anyway, so that's Harry Potter's situation. But his um, his cousin, so Dudley, I think his name is, he's been completely spoiled by the well-meaning parents. I mean, they are very loving, but they have ups- they set absolutely no boundaries for the boy. He does not know how to conduct himself at all. So he's the potential for perhaps exercising violence or, you know, imparting violence to his parents in the future because he doesn't seem to know what's right and what's wrong because they're not teaching him. So he's a very greedy, spoiled, um, immoral boy because that's that's basically how the parents are raising him. So it could be that kind of um, relationship that at some point he basically is, is not taught respect towards anyone and, you know, his parents... His parents neither, and definitely not Harry Potter. He's a very bad cousin. So that's a very banal example, but I hope it brings the point home of what this research was talking about here, and that I brought that example into the mix. It did not come from the article, by the way. And the third snippet for this week is engagement in de-escalation techniques. So um, they trained a whole police department on de-escalation, and then they looked at whether they were being applied or not and what the factors were that influenced this. Now, following training in de-escalation techniques, unless supervisors are supportive of them, they will not be used by subordinates. So if the supervisors are not supportive, those underneath them who are being supervised by these people are not uh, much more un- much more unlikely to use the techniques that they've just learned. So it is supervisors' engagement in activities that support and reinforce their staff's use of de-escalation skills that determine these techniques being used. So that's very interesting because, first of all, escal- de-escalation techniques in you know in the last two years have become so much more relevant than they already used to be you know if you think about george floyd and police killings and everything and for example america they they spend a lot more time training how training police officers how to use a gun rather than um teaching how to use de-escalation techniques in other countries is is very different in other countries um i've seen i've seen some statistics that they um they are mainly taught how not to use a gun um and that country, whichever one it was, I don't know if it was Norway or Germany, but they um, obviously have a much much lower rate of police-inflicted um, killings. So de-escalation training, very, very valuable. It's great that they, that they do this, and it's great that they do this research, because now we know that we need to have a particular focus on those that supervise staff. And um, they perhaps need an extra input and um, some extra support in actually making, making it possible for, for everyone working below them to use those, those techniques. So it's very important how they how they portray their views about the training and the, the content of what they've just learned and those techniques. And so we know that we now know, based on this research, how important it is to actually speak to supervisors and get supervisors really on board with this. And it's quite possible that other things that are being taught um, have the same effect. It might not be specific to de-escalation techniques, perhaps anything that is being taught has to have the support the support um, of supervisors in order for for it to be actually employed. 
So these were the three police science snippets for this week. I hope that you found them useful. And as I said, um, go to the website and become a subscriber if you want them emailed to you every Tuesday. And um, until next week, I'll see you soon. Have a good one. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this content useful. You can get access to each episode's transcript with key learning points, timestamps and references if you get yourself onto my mailing list. Just go to the main website on policesciencedoctor.com and on the bottom of each page you will find a sign-up form for notifications of new content. Just enter your first name, your preferred email address and the type of organization you work for. You will not get any spam. This is just for me to let you know about new content and for you to get access to all the transcripts.